Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Genesis, would you please? The book of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Of course, we've been studying our way through the book of Ephesians, and um, we'll continue going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse. That's what I prefer, but there are times where it's good to step back and, and address different matters and consider different portions of the Word of God, even while we're going through a book of the Bible expositorily. And I wanted to look at Genesis chapter 2. A few months ago, I preached a message, you might remember, out of 1 Samuel. Uh, And you remember we contrasted, we looked at a, a major contrast between two families. We saw in Samuel's family, you remember young Samuel, a boy, uh, his, his mother Hannah, um, his, his mother Hannah had kept a God as the one that she would please, and Samuel did that as well. And then in Samuel's life, we also saw that Samuel honored God. His mom honored God, his parents honored God, Samuel honored God. Um, uh, he was willing to do hard things. Uh, but then we contrasted that family with another family, the family of a high priest. Eli, the high priest, priest, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, did not honor God. Uh, in fact, we could say it the other way, they dishonored God. And really, there's only one, it's either going to be one or the other. And so our theme for this year is, I will honor God. I will honor God. And you remember, I gave the illustration of scales Because the word honor in the Bible has the idea of to give weight to. To give weight to. Am I going to give more weight to what I'm feeling like? Uh, Am I going to give more value to what I'm feeling like doing? Or am I going to give more weight to what God says that I ought to do? See, And as we go through life, and as we've been going through this year, and isn't this year going by quickly? I don't know how it's going for you. But I got to tell you, this year is just flying by. We're in March already. Um, And so it's been about three months since I preached that message on I will honor God. And I hope that you have our calendar for the year, for the events of this year for Trinity Baptist Church. I hope you have it on your refrigerator. Uh, Some of us have so many things on our refrigerator. It might be there, but you just can't see it. You need to dig it back out. Others of us, uh, our refrigerators look like they would in a showroom, you know, a kitchen showroom. And there's nothing on your refrigerator, not a a smudge or a nose print or not even a fingerprint. You have one of those new refrigerators, they don't even get fingerprints anymore. That's great. But you need to find that calendar. You need to put it, I know magnets might cause some sort of damage that nobody can see, but put it on there anyway, okay? Put it on there anyway, Because on that calendar of the events for our church for this year, there's the statement, I will honor God. And then there's a graphic or an image of scales. And the scales are tilted one way or the other. And we did it on purpose because my heart's desire for you as church members and my desire for myself is that as we go through this year, we will consistently make decisions that honor and bring glory to God and not make decisions that dishonor the Lord. Now, I've asked you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. And and before we read from our text in Genesis chapter 2, really, as we we look at Genesis chapter 2, we're going all the way back to the beginning. And we're going to look at a husband and wife who made a series of bad decisions. Ultimately, they made a decision that dishonored God. Ultimately, they chose uh, what they felt like, what they desired. They believed some lies, and they didn't give weight to what God had told them to do. And the consequences were extreme. And by the way, whenever you and I choose to dishonor God, there are always consequences, aren't there? Uh, We don't have to go back down life's road completely. It's good to remember where we've come from. I appreciated the solo this morning uh, as we think about, I'm amazed that God would love me. Uh, Every one of us 
Every, every one of us ought to be constrained to love one another because we're amazed that God would love us. We were amazed that God would forgive us, and so we forgive one another and we love one another. So I appreciated that song this morning. But uh, in Genesis chapter 2, we find this couple, and uh, they're not so amazed at God's love. They're thinking about what they want, what he's withheld from them. That's their perspective. And they choose to dishonor God. Now, before we look at our text, I want to remind you of this idea of honoring God and, and, and that it is very important to God. Uh, God is honorable. He is glorious. Um, whether I glorify him or not does not add to his glory or take away from his glory. He is glorious. He is honorable. However, you and I can honor him. We can glorify him. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30, God had said to his people, Them that honor me, I will honor. Them that honor me, God says, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. So it's possible for me to honor God, and when you and I honor God, God says he will honor us. It's also possible for you and for me to despise God. Now, we can't bring him down because he is who he is. At the same time, it's in our minds, it's in our hearts where we despise him sometimes, and where people, his his creation, people on earth, despise him. And the word despise has to bring down. Now, we can't bring him down from where he is. However, we can bring him down in our minds and in our hearts. And God says, they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Psalm 29 in verse 2 says, give unto the Lord the glory. And the word glory and honor Sometimes in the Old Testament can be used interchangeably. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Psalm 57 in verse 5 says, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. Psalm 71 in verse 8 says, Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. And Psalm 145 in verse 5 says, I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. Today, I want to consider this idea of the phrase, I will honor God. Can you say that this morning? If we were to all say it together, could you say with a clear conscience before God, I want to glorify God. I want to honor God in my life, with my life. I will honor God. And I want to think about what it means for our lives today. Now, I've already talked and I've already preached on the topic of how we can honor God. And we said that honor means, you remember, to give weight to, to ascribe value to. And even it has the idea, the word honor means to understand the consequence. Uh, To understand that what I do with his word, leads to a sequence of events. You could think of it that way. What I do or don't do with God's word can lead to a sequence of events in my life. You understand that? You understand that for you? What you do, what you're doing with what God says can lead to a sequence of events in your life. We all should understand that. And we all need to live every day in light of that. So we've, under, we, we've talked about what it means or how we can honor God. But I want to think this morning more of what it is to honor God, or really what we're going to see is what it is not. Do you remember, uh, have you ever seen, maybe it's been a while, we live in the day of digital TV. Many of you might have cable or dish network. And, and so today, if the signal's breaking up on your TV, it just gets a little patchy, or it just goes right out for a period of time. Um, When I was a boy, we had rabbit ears on our TV, and sometimes tinfoil, if mom wasn't looking, you know, we'd get some tinfoil, 
and like extend them and wind them up into the staircase. We, you know, we were trying to get better reception so we could watch Little House on the Prairie and not miss the episode, you know. And, uh, but you remember what would happen? Uh, it, would get, it would get all snowy, right? And you couldn't see anything. Well, before that, black and white. The other day, uh, Tori happened to walk out in the living room and I had uh, Andy Griffith on, right? Uh, Barney Fife. And she was giggling up a storm, my nine-year-old. She was just giggling away, watching the... And she said, can you get this in color, Dad? <laughs> I said, no, not this episode you can. You can't get this in color. So back in the days of black and white television, do you ever, ever remember watching a, a movie, and one of the old movies, and the, and the audio wasn't matching up with the visual? Remember that? Have you ever seen something like that? And so the guy is... he's. He makes an expression, he says something, and then the words come later, you know, and it, it, it was just kind of funny. Sometimes in our Christian lives, our lives are kind of like an old-time movie where what, we're, what they're saying isn't matching up with what they're doing. Sometimes it's that way in our Christian lives. What we say, we believe, isn't matching up with what God says. It's not matching up with what, how we're living. What we say we believe isn't matching up with what we're doing in our lives. And, and i got to tell you, that is dishonoring to God. You see, we can all say, I agree with what God says about marriage. Or I, we can all say, I agree with what God says about training up children. Or I agree with what God says about forgiveness, or about love, or about faithfulness, or about worship. We're going to talk about worship tonight as we study Revelation chapter 22. And i got to tell you, in my study, as I was studying this week, and the angel of God tells John, Stand up, don't worship me. He says, Worship God. We're going to talk about that. Worship God. We can all agree, I, we ought to worship God. But is our lives, are our lives matching up with the words that are coming out of our mouths? In Genesis chapter 2, I find there's really the beginning of history. And this struggle with honoring God or dishonoring God begins basically at the very beginning. And it has everything to do with God's word. Listen in in Genesis chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in verse number 8. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse number 8. And I'm going to read down through verse number 17. We'll pray, and we'll get into the passage this morning. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse number 8. Now, God has created all things at this point, and he says in verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, the Garden of Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, that would be Adam, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to, to water the garden, And from thence it was parted, that is, that water, and became into four heads, or four other rivers. The name of the first is Pison, that is it, which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Bedellium and the Onyx Stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hidekel, and that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work. The word dress means to work or to serve it and to keep it. That is to protect it or to attend to it. And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But... Of the tree of the knowledge of good, of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
Let's pray. Let's pray this morning. But before I do, I want to ask you this question. Was, was God clear in what he said? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. And in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Was God clear or not? He was, wasn't he? What, what were Adam and Eve going to do with the clear instruction of God? Were they going to honor God or were they going to dishonor God? Because the very battle, the very decisions they were confronted with at the beginning of time, you and I are confronted with every day of our lives. And I can boil the, 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 the battle down to one thought, and it is this. I will honor God, or I will dishonor God. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at your word, going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit who lives within us, and by your word that you have given to us, Father, help us, I pray, to be a people, to be families, men, women, children. Help us, Lord, to be a church that honors you. God, I'm asking for this in a day where there is so much dishonor. God, help us, I pray, to be a people who honor you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, look again at verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Look around, Adam. All of the trees you can eat of the fruit. But then he says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, I have a question. Do you think Adam and Eve believed in God, yes or no? Did they believe in God? Yes, I believe they did. I don't think there's any doubt in Adam or Eve's mind. Is God real? Does God have a will for me? Is God active in our lives? I think Adam and Eve knew God. They believed in God. But even though Adam and Eve believed in God, it did not mean that they always believed God. You see, it's possible for you and for me to believe in God, to believe in the God of the Bible, to believe that his words are true, but to not always believe him. To question him, to doubt him. It's possible to believe in God, but not to trust him in a situation or circumstance. To, to start walking in unbelief, making decisions, making a series of decisions in unbelief. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve do. What did Adam and Eve do with the words of God? Well, look at chapter 3 of Genesis in verse number 1. And I'm going to read down through verse number 6. What did Adam and Eve do with the words of God? You know, he's been very clear, you're not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you do, in the day that you eat thereof, you're going to die, okay? Well, what did Adam and Eve do with those clear words? Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, he said unto Eve, Now remember, this serpent, specifically the devil, was within this serpent. And now he's speaking to Eve And he says this, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, so we have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, 
and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, Adam, and he did eat. So now, in this situation that we're looking at, both Adam and Eve gave more weight to their own conclusions. They gave more weight to their own opinions than they did to what God had said. Is that obvious to you? Do you see that? Now, the devil plays a role here in Eve's life, and he is the father of all lies, the Bible tells us. Um, The Bible tells us that to this day he goeth about as a roaring lion uh, seeking whom he may devour. So the devil is still active in trying to make people or lead people to believe things that are wrong, to lead people into believing lies. But Adam and Eve very clearly knew what God had said, and yet somewhere along the line, Eve and Adam believe that their own conclusions, they come to their own conclusions, they believe that their own opinions are more important, have greater validity than what God has told them, than the instruction of God. In in this, I can say it this way, they honored themselves more than they honored God. They gave more glory to themselves than they gave glory to God. So what happens when God's word has no weight in our lives? You're here, you're a young person, a teenager. Is it possible for you to honor God? Yes, it is. Is it possible for you as a teenager to dishonor God or not to give weight to his word? And the answer, of course, is yes, it is. It's possible. Uh, You're here, you've been saved for 50 years. You've been saved a long time. You know much of the word of God. You've walked with God. God and you walk together through life and he bears your burdens and you're, you're, you're diligent in praying to him on a regular basis. Is it possible for you to honor God? And the answer, of course, is yes. Is it also possible for you to dishonor God? Still, after 50 years of being saved, and the answer is yes. We could all make decisions that dishonor God. And I guess as I look at this passage, I want us to see some steps to dishonoring God. So I'm going to give you five steps to dishonoring God, okay? This morning, uh, I'm putting it in the positive. Five steps to dishonoring God. But we ought to be reminded of what God said in 1 Samuel 2 and verse 30. Them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Five steps to dishonoring God. What's the process of dishonoring God. And by the way, uh, I don't often preach a message like this, but as we look at Adam and Eve's decision-making process and what happened, what got them to the point where they led all of mankind into sin and destruction, you and I can learn some things from this, from this, this narrative, this situation, this historical event. Number one, We can dishonor God. We we start to dishonor God when we view God's word as negotiable. If you want to dishonor God, view God's word, look at God's word as negotiable. Negotiable. Look again at our text in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, the latter part. Of course, Satan comes to Eve. He's in the form of a snake, a serpent. And, uh, of course, we know that things were different in the Garden of Eden. I don't know too many ladies here who, would, who have talked to a snake. If you have, don't tell me, okay? Um, most of us are scared of snakes, um, especially ladies. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, the latter part, though, uh, the devil is talking to Eve, and he, said, he questions God's word. He says, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Hath God said that ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now that that question, that statement, that thought, and by the way, wrong thoughts can, the power of suggestion, wrong thoughts can lead us down an awfully dark path, okay? But immediately, Satan proposes an idea that has zero validity. 
Had God said anything about Adam and Eve not being able to eat of the trees of the Garden of Eden? No, God had actually told Adam, of the trees of the Garden of Eden, thou shalt freely eat, except one. Satan actually approaches Eve, and he says, did God say that you couldn't eat of the trees of the Garden of Eden? I mean, he's really just throwing out this idea, this negative questioning idea about what God has said. And and really, he starts to get Eve thinking that what God has said is negotiable. Um, Is God's word negotiable, yes or no? What God has said is true. What God has said in his word is for you and for me. What God has said in his word is for you and for me to obey. It's for us to learn. It's for us to listen to. It's for us to live out in our lives. It goes against our flesh. But God's word is not negotiable. Um, In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, Christ said this, but he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. God's word is not negotiable. Um, uh, It's been a little while, but do you remember uh, President Bush uh, II? uh, I guess it would be George W. Bush, right? And, uh, and of course, the, the attacks on the Twin Towers and the Pentagon... And uh, I remember that you remember where you were that day. And he had not been the president all that long. And, of course, then uh, Osama bin Laden is identified. We all become very familiar with this man. Um, Al-Qaeda now becomes part of our language. Um, Things that we had never talked about before we begin to talk about. And I'll never forget uh, George W. Bush, our president at that time, making the comment uh, something like this. I will not negotiate with terrorists. I thought that was very wise, by the way. Uh, So much so that there have been times with my children that I I actually have made the statement, I'm not going to negotiate with terrorists. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, I don't negotiate with terrorists as a father in my home. All right. And you shouldn't either, by the way, as a mom and dad. But the Bible is non-negotiable. What God has said is true. Well, wait a minute. Times have changed. The Word of God is eternal. It spans time. The Word of God, the Word of God settled in heaven has always been. God gave it to mankind over a period of about 1,600 years. Forty different penmen. It all agrees. They are the words of God, and it has no end. The word of God, the written word of God, is non-negotiable. And yet Adam and Eve began to believe God's word was negotiable. The first step to dishonoring God is believe that God's word is negotiable. I can negotiate with it. I can hear it, and then I can... Yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but what about this situation? Yeah, but I don't... I mean, we're living in 2018, and God's word is ancient, after all. Yeah, you could say that. It's eternal. It's been around a long time. God's word is not negotiable. Psalm 12 and verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, The words of God are pure. They are without error. They have been put to the test and have been found worthy of trust. They are trustworthy. And you and I, if we're going to honor God, need to view God's words as non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. What God says is true. I may not always understand it, I think you can understand this. But as a man, having flesh, 
I don't always agree with it. Pastor doesn't always agree with the Bible. I'm talking about as a man in my flesh. My wicked flesh does not agree with the Bible. And yours doesn't either. I may not always understand it. I may not always be able to explain it. God's ways are not my ways. His ways are higher than my ways. God's thoughts are not my thoughts. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. But God's words are non-negotiable. There are times in my life I've gone against it. There are times in every believer's life where we go against it. We do not obey them. And whenever we disobey them, whenever we begin to negotiate with the word of God, we are dishonoring God. Don't allow yourself to take this first step. Don't view God's word as negotiable. Step number two. We view God's word as inconsequential. Or you might write another word down, or as insignificant. If you want to dishonor God, um, view God's word as negotiable, and then view God's word as inconsequential. Like, if I don't... Okay, I, I hear what God says, but... If I go ahead and do this anyway, do you think anything bad's going to happen to me? I, I know what God says, but I, if I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Pastor, how bad do you think it'll get for me? And 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 one of the thought processes that we go down when we're making wrong choices or choices that are against God's word is this idea of we view God's word as inconsequential or as insignificant. There aren't going to be any negative consequences to my disobedience against the word of God. Look in verse number 4, Genesis chapter 3, verse number 4, the beginning part. And again, the devil is lying here. He's the one that's promoting this kind of thinking. The word of God is negotiable, the devil would say. The word of God is insignificant. Notice what he says at the beginning of verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Eve, Ye shall not surely die. Ye shall not surely die. If you disobey God's word. Now I know God has said that thou shalt not eat of of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I know that God has said that if you eat... In the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt surely die. Is there something unclear about that statement of God? Thou shalt surely die. I know what God has said, but, the devil would say to you and me, despite what you know the Bible says, despite what you know that God has said, it's not true. Um, You're not going to have any consequence. They won't be that bad. The consequences won't be that bad. What God told you isn't that significant. When something happens in the news media, or something bad happens, of course the news media rushes to it, and, uh, and I've heard uh, reporters make this statement. And we're going to tune you in live to so-and-so. She's on the ground, ground zero, she has a significant, some significant news or something that we all need to hear. It's something that is important. We all need to know what she's about to say, and we all tune in. We can't miss this. This is important. But you know what? The Bible is significant. <laughs> the Bible is significant. I know that most of us in this room have two or maybe three or four copies each person has that many copies of the Word of God. I know that some of them are are old and worn out, and maybe some of them have never been opened. They're in a box. Yesterday, uh, Cindy came across the box, a, a Bible, and she said, I didn't know you had that Bible. It was in a box. I've never opened it. It's my replacement for this one when it wears out. Okay, I'm planning ahead. All right. And, uh, but it has never been opened. You know, now it has. But uh, it had never been opened. And so we have these copies of the Word of God. And so sometimes the more we have it, you know, Pastor Ferguson gets up and preaches. And, and our, we had so many Sunday school teachers. The last few weeks I've been able to sit in on Pastor Gosnell and, and Mr. Dan Holflinger and then Mr. Josh Harney this morning and hear the Word of God taught. 
And it's just in abundance being taught just in this one location. The word of God is being taught. And sometimes when we have such an overabundance of it, it's it's so plentiful. We can come and, and we don't have to come and it's still being taught. Or we come and it's being taught. We can take our pick here, there, and everywhere. And sometimes we start to view as it's just not that significant. The word of God is incredibly significant. And one of the attacks that the devil posed against God's word and what he had said was, what God says is not true. Or what God says is not significant. In Psalm 119 and verse 9, the Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Or the question could be posed this way, How can a young man who is not living for God, how can a young man who, do, who does not love God, How can a young man who is disobeying the word of God, how can a young man be cleaned? How can he begin to do right? And the answer comes in that very same passage, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. David prayed, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy precepts, from thy statutes, from thy word. The word of God is significant. Psalm 119 and verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So many times in our life, just going through life, illness comes in, hardship, loss, um, financial difficulties, lawsuits, whatever. Life is full of these different pitfalls and hardships. There are times we're going through this life, and have you ever been where you're... You don't really see the path. It's kind of hard to know, how, how do I go? Where's our next step? Do we go this direction? Do we go that direction? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God is significant. The word of God is, has consequence, has reward. But really, both Adam and Eve viewed God's word as not important. To make the decision they made, They had to come to a point where they believed this lie of the devil that the word of God isn't significant. What God has said is not important. And so I ask you this morning, how do you view God's word? How do you view God's word? Is there any evidence in your life that you view God's word as important? Just that you're here this morning communicates to some degree that you view God's word as important. How important? Maybe there was a time in your life, you're not there anymore, but maybe there was a time in your life where you viewed God's word as being so important that you didn't just come to Sunday morning service, but you came to Sunday school too. Maybe you came to Sunday night service as well because you viewed his word as so important. Maybe you're not there anymore. I know... I know life is hard. I know days aren't as long as they used to be. It feels that way, doesn't it? You can't get everything done. And I know what it means to be tired. This morning I knew that very well. My children seem to know that very well. You know that yesterday, they were, two of them were up by 7 o'clock yesterday morning, raring to go, going down in the basement, otherwise known as the Ferguson House as Legoland. Okay. Plans, big plans. But Sunday morning came around, time change. They were in bed, deep asleep. Is the word of God important? We, we, I've heard, you've heard, we've heard tori- stories, uh, we've heard stories about uh, missionaries tell about, you know, hey, we, we need a mission team to come over and help build a building in, in Haiti or the Dominican where it's hot. What are we going to build it out of? We're going to build it out of cinder block walls and a metal roof. And don't you worry, people are going to walk miles to come to church to hear God's word. I'm not being too hard on you. I'm not being too hard on anyone in this room. Each one of you need to take account of the significance that you place on this book. 
It is true that as your pastor, I watch for your souls as one who must give an account to God. And you know what that means? That means that I'm accountable to God for how I teach that book to you. Whether I hold back the parts that you don't want to hear. Whether I tell you the things that you do or don't. Whether I tell you the truth. That's my responsibility, and I'm accountable to God for that. But do you understand that every one of you as individuals are accountable to God for what you do with the truth that you know? You understand that, don't you? You need to take account. We live in a world where church and his word, the word of God, is not important. You you can see that. Many people have Bibles, but few people open them. Few people learn to study them. Be one of those people. Break the mold. I understand it's hard. I understand there are portions of the Word of God that are hard to understand. Break the mold. You say, but Seth, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and my mom and dad didn't study the Word of God. They didn't have family devotions. I don't know where to begin. Then come and ask. Come and ask me. Talk to me about it. Or, or begin to just read a proverb a day. Or, or begin to read the Gospel of John or First John, a small book, and read it and pray and ask God to teach you as you read it. Come to Sunday school. You can learn a lot about studying the Bible just by listening to your teacher teach. You'll learn. The Word of God is significant. View everything God says as significant. Hold your place in Genesis chapter 3 and look with me, if you would, to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, I'll begin reading in verse number 7. And we're thinking now about the significance of the word of God. Psalm 19 in verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect not too many things in our lives that we can say that about in our world. It's perfect, converting the soul. The testimony, speaking of the word of God, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Some of you might say, you might look at me and say, Pastor Ferguson, my son, my, my child is a simple person. They're very simple, easily led astray. I'm so worried about them at school. Do you know that the word of God is sure, making wise people who are simple? Bring them diligently Sunday nights to church the way my parents did me. But Pastor Ferguson, is there anything? What's for them? What, What do you have for them? The word of God. What they need. Verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are right. How do we know what's right? The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And now, as he's, all been, he's been talking about the word of God. And now in verses 10 and 11... He gives us some wonderful words of exhortation. He says, More to be desired are they, the word of God, than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, the word of God, is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. We live in a society today where the word of God is disesteemed, despised. We would rather work overtime and have more money than come hear the word of God. We would rather, we would rather 
take a nap and get more rest than hear the word of God. We'd rather just kick back and just relax. We'd rather go on vacation than hear the word of God. You say, Pastor, well, don't you think I should take a vacation? Yes, I do. But I can tell you what my family does when we go on vacation. We go on vacation, we go to church. We meet with the church. We try to find a good church, and we go, and we hear the word of God. You say, I, don't you think you're overdoing it a little bit? Maybe, maybe my neighbors think that. They go to church four times a week. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Don't you think that's overdoing a little bit? Do I? No. In Hebrews chapter 13, we're told not to the assembling of ourselves the manner of some is. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We're actually supposed to gather together more, more, the closer we get to Christ's return. The more wicked the day is around us, the more we're to gather together. And yet, as I look around us at this world, I see the opposite is actually happening. People are gathering less. And yet, people are believing, even believers are believing, that if I gather less, it will be better for me. And I think it's an awful lot like what happened to Adam and Eve. Satan says, Yea, hath God said. Yea, it's not a big deal. The word of God is a big deal. It's consequential. It's significant. Look back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 in our Bibles. So if we want to dishonor God, view God's word as negotiable. View God's word as insignificant. Number three, view God's word, view God as withholding, view God as withholding something good from us. View God as withholding something good from us. Look at verse number five of Genesis chapter three. Satan speaks again, and he says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, the day that you eat of this fruit, God knows that your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You're going to be like a god. No, Adam and Eve began to believe the devil's lies somewhere along the way, that God was withholding something good from them. God warned the Israelites of the possibility of being deceived in Deuteronomy chapter 11. He said, take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. And ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Be careful, don't be deceived. Don't don't allow yourself to believe that. And so I ask us, have we been deceived into thinking that the instruction of God, that the word of God is second rate to what this world offers? Do we think that the word of God is holding us back from happiness, from pleasures? A week ago on Sunday night, we were considering considering the new Jerusalem. And we talked about, as we saw very clearly from the book of Revelations, that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. And there's going to be a new Jerusalem. And I I made the statement, when when I was a boy, I... I always kind of thought of heaven as a boring place that I didn't want to... I mean, I wanted to go. The, uh, the option wasn't all that great. So I guess I wanted to go. But you know what? I really didn't want to go because I can have so much more fun in this earth. But as we saw, as we looked at the Word of God and considered passages of Scripture from the Word of God, the conclusion is very obvious that heaven, what God has prepared for us, is a place of glory and honor to God, but it is a place of wonderful pleasure for God's people at the highest level. At the highest level. In other words, there is no pleasure on this earth that you and I can interact with, whether good or evil, that can even come close to the pleasures that God has prepared for them who love Him. And yet in this world, you and I have a, uh, we're prone to think the way I did as a young person and the way even my flesh tends to think, and that is this, 
that the pleasures of this sinful world are better, more enjoyable than holiness and righteousness in heaven. That is not true. That's not true. But how are we to know these things outside of the word of God? How are we to know these things? And see, the more we neglect the word of God, the more we despise the word of God, lessen it. And the more we embrace what our flesh desires in this world, darkness envelops you and me and our children to the point where generations can be lost. Yes, your grand, if your child does not train up your grandchildren to know the word of God, that they might be born again, they will die and go to hell forever and ever. And I say it starts with you and me to say, you know what, as for me and my house, we are going to serve God. We, in this world, in this day and time, we are going to honor God. We are going to lift up his word and we are going to honor it and we are going to seek after it, and we're going to search after it. We're going to pursue the truth, even if it means that I have to forego a nap, or I can't watch the rest of the Michigan game beating Purdue in the Big Ten tournament. I am going to pursue the Word of God. Let's, let's be different than this world. Are we believing the devil's lies? That the seasonal pleasures of sin are better than the eternal pleasures enjoyed by those who are with God. Psalm 84 and verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and honor, glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Some of us are more concerned about making our lives perfect, having perfect health, having perfect family gatherings, having a perfect house, you know, a showpiece, than we are about this book. And we will regret it, I'm telling you, if we do. We will regret it. Fourthly, I notice we view God's word as optional. Look at verse number six. Verse number six, as we're coming to an end. So the steps to dishonoring God is view God's word as negotiable. View God's word as insignificant. View God as the one who's keeping you from happiness. And then fourthly, view God's word as optional. Look at verse number six in Genesis chapter three. It says, and when the woman, when Eve, saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And uh, according to God's word, they died spiritually. The fellowship that they had once had with God was broken. But they view God's word as optional. Do you ever view or do you ever think that your way of doing things is better than God's way of doing things? And the answer, of course, is yes. We've all done that. Besides our passage with Adam and Eve, can you think of a Bible illustration of people who thought that their way of doing things was better than God's way? And there are many that come to my mind. Samson. God wanted to use Samson to do some great things. And God used Samson to do some great things. But Samson, because he disobeyed and disesteemed the word of God, ends up dying a martyr's death. Self-inflicted. I guess not so much a martyr's, but more suicidal. Uh, I think of Balaam, the prophet Balaam, who is willing to forsake the word of God and disobey the word of God just for the hope that he might be able to be filthy rich. He never actually makes it to that. He's actually killed by the sword, the Bible says. He dies. He never actually even attains what he had dreamed and coveted. 
But he gave up so much to get nothing. I think of David in Bathsheba, the man after God's own heart, looking and desiring another man's wife and taking her to himself and then murdering her husband. And the results, what were the results? He disesteemed the word of God. He thought of it as little. And he did what he wanted to do. And the results lasted him his entire life. Probably most blatantly we see the consequences for King David's sin when his son Amnon rapes his sister Tamar. And Amnon's brother, his stepbrother Absalom, is so furious because his dad won't do anything to make what has been done right. Absalom kills his brother Amnon. And then Absalom... David still doesn't respond. And then Absalom tries to overthrow his father's kingdom. Ultimately, Absalom is hanging from a tree by his hair. And and Joab, the captain of David's army, runs him through three times. And he dies. And David is weeping. A broken man. All because he has disesteemed the word of God. He viewed God's word as optional. See, the problem plainly stated, when you and I live with a sin of unbelief, when we hear God's word and we just choose, you know what, it's optional, I'm I'm just going to choose not to do that. It's the sin of unbelief. And in a sense, we can say that sin is always birthed in unbelief. A belief is what you accept to be true. Unbelief is rejecting what God says. Non-belief doesn't exist because we all believe something. So in every situation of life, I'm either believing what God says is best, and I'm applying it to the situation and, and implementing what God has said to the situation, to how I train up my kids, to how I interact with my wife, to how I pastor a church, to financial decisions that I make, what I buy, what I sell, how I buy, how I sell, what I say. I'm either living my life by faith, taking God at his word, which honors God, which glorifies God and is to his praise. Or I go through life and I live like this book is optional. And you know what? I'm the husband I am, and that's just who you married. And you know what, kids? This is just what I know. and I'm not looking to this for instruction. Oh, I'm saved. I have fire insurance. I'm not going to hell when I die. I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to raise you kids the way I see fit. You know what? I'll pastor that way, too. Who wants to be a part of church like that? Yeah, amen. You know what? It doesn't bring honor to God. When a pastor pastors that way, or when we as God's people live our lives that way, We must not live our lives like God's word is optional. One last thought and we'll be done. Look at verse number seven. The path to dishonoring God ends with this. We try to hide and cover our sin. Look at verse number seven, Genesis three and verse seven. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They try to cover themselves. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says, Be not deceived. Don't believe the lie. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. See, the consequences of, of giving greater weight to our own thinking than God's word is disastrous. The consequences of giving weight to the world's philosophies over God's word is disastrous. The, the consequences of believing the lies of the devil are always disastrous. Disregarding God's word always results in destruction. A refusal to trust God always produces a negative sequence of events. In Adam and Eve's case, they brought sin and death upon their children. Cain and Abel. Cain murders Abel. Think about that. 
the first parents on the face of the earth, their son killed their other son. That shouldn't be that far out for us today in 2018. It's just over on the campus of CMU. What was it, a, week, a little over a week ago, Friday? A son, a 19-year-old son, took a gun and killed his mom and dad. Adam and Eve's sin brought sin and death upon their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and to this day, our children. Romans 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Romans 3.10 tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. And then in verse 23, uh, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages, the payment for sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And and, in fact, in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible tells us, I think it's in verse number 21, that God actually takes an animal and kills the animal and clothes, makes a covering for Adam and Eve to cover their sin. And then we find throughout history, uh, throughout history, we find mankind understanding that there needs to be a covering for their sin and that only that blood has to be shed. And ultimately, the blood of Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice that can truly take away sin. Hebrews tells us that the, the sacrifices, the blood of bulls and of goats, can never take away sin. It only covers for a time. But that the blood of Jesus Christ alone takes away sin. And so, when we don't give weight to the word of God, we are in essence glorifying ourselves and we're robbing God of the glory that belongs to him. Romans 1 talked about that. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. That's what we're talking, this is what the whole message is about. Are you honoring God? Are you lifting him up? Are you giving him the rightful place he deserves? He is God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I don't want that for my kids. I don't want to dishonor God. I want my children to know there is only one God. Tonight I'm going to define what it means to worship God. And I found a beautiful uh, definition in, in Webster's 1828 Dictionary. But the idea that Webster brought out about worshiping God is worship to God isn't a song that's, it can be part of it, but it's not a song that's played or a choir that sings. It's not us just gathering as a church on a Sunday morning. Worshiping God has the idea of to exalt him or to lift him up, to make it obvious almost that our adoration and our love for him is extreme. In other words, nothing else comes close. Nothing else comes close. He is God. Not the ball teams, not my, not my recreational activities, not my job. Nothing else comes close. He is God. And, and God help my children to see that. They need to see it in their dad. And not just because he's a pastor. They need to see it in their mom. Our children need to see this in us, that we worship God. And I fear that's not being seen in our day. They change the truth of God into a lie. They trade truth for their own thinking. They gave their own reasoning, their own logic, greater weight than God's word. And if we're going to honor God, we need to repent. We need to be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. How do, how do we view a weighty word? We see what it is to dishonor God's word and dishonor God. But how do we view a weighty word? Well, Isaiah 55 says this, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he, the Lord, will have mercy upon him, let him return to our God. Why? For he will abundantly pardon. Why? For 
your thoughts, for my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you remember the boy named Samuel, Samuel that I talked about at the beginning of the message? We saw that Samuel presented his best to the Lord, his mom did. We saw that Samuel kept God as the one that he should please, and that Samuel accepted the life's, life's challenges. And because Samuel valued the word of God, God honored Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 19, there's a beautiful statement that's made. I think that's beautiful. That's something you and I ought to have in our lives, and it's this. The Bible says that Samuel grew as a boy, and the Lord was with him. And listen to what Samuel did. And did let none of his words fall to the ground. That's what it says about Samuel as a young boy growing up. Regarding the word of God, the Bible says about Samuel that he let none of God's words fall to the ground. They were precious to him. I can, I'll tell you as your pastor, my heart is grieved. Because I look, I, not, just, not because of our society, not because of the unsaved. That does not grieve me. My heart grieves because God's people are disesteeming the word of God. And I know by what the Bible says that the end will be worse than the beginning. And I want you to know it doesn't have to be that way. Inconvenient? Yeah, sometimes God's word is inconvenient from a human perspective. Time-taking, yes. Requires commitment, yes. Hard to understand sometimes, yes. But that is all part of pursuing God. You and I cannot pursue him, and we cannot know him outside of his word. And his word gives life. There will be times where you don't feel like coming to hear it. There will be times, where, days where you don't feel like picking it up and reading it. But know this, that when you and I do not, we are dishonoring God. And God says, them that honor me, I will honor. Do you need God to honor you? Do you need him to esteem you highly or to esteem you lightly? Yes, what I'm talking about is extremely serious. And some of us need to do what Isaiah talked about. We need to turn back to the Lord. We need to turn back to his word.